1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events.
2: From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We made it to another weekend. Happy Halloween. We have a great show for you this week, and it is spooky as fuck. Coming up, non fic giant Eric Larson tries to tell us he is not into Halloween.
1: And I remember dressing one of my kids as Rosemary's baby in a a red jumpsuit with horns and, and so forth.
2: Then we hear from Emily Zarka, a true monster
3: fiend. I started researching the undead, and that got me into grad school
2: and got my PhD. But first, let's check in with two smart humans about stuff that's been going on this week. First up, we have Anne-Marie Awad. They're a journalist and host of the podcast On Something. Anne-Marie, hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, my gosh. Thrilled to have you. Plus, we've got Wendy Zuckerman. She is the host of Gimlet's Science Versus Podcast. Wendy, welcome. Hello. Okay. So... I want to start this week with something that I actually have thought about a lot for kind of the last couple of years. Essentially, ever since Game of Thrones proved to be like the most successful TV show kind of in the history of TV, everyone has been trying to figure out how to make the next Thrones, right? At this very moment, there are so many different iterations of this. There's the Apple TV Plus Show Foundation, which is based on the Asimov novels. If humanity is to climb from the
4: ashes... Coming generations will need the knowledge to build upon.
2: Dune just came out. There's the trailer for the Thrones prequel that just dropped a couple weeks ago. There's also a trailer for this Amazon Wheel of Time adaptation.
5: The wheel keeps turning.
2: That dropped earlier this week. Carnival Row wrapped its filming on a new season. That's not even to mention a new season on The Witcher on Netflix. I'm your destiny.
1: You're much more than that, Cyrilla. Cirilla.
2: So Anne-Marie, you brought up this topic in an email and you called it high fantasy TV bullshit, which I yes. loved. So you are like super here for this stuff, right?
5: I'm really into it because I think at this point, our entertainment has reached a point where everybody's looking for the next big budget something, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like what gets a lot of airtime is people being super tired of like the Marvel movies. You know, in the last like several years, we've seen probably some of the best like science fiction movies and series so like i feel like i was like a closeted high fantasy fan for a quite a while (laughs) and sort of like game of thrones was was kind of my entry back and what was cool about that in particular was the fact that like all of these people around me who i think would never have been into high fantasy were super into it and so it was just like I don't know. I think it proved that it can be a lot more universal than people expect. Yeah. The one that I brought up was The Witcher because I like the show has its issues (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Um, But I also like appreciate that it feels like they are trying really hard to not be the next Game of Thrones and to really do their own thing. And Mm. of course, they have like a whole other backs, like a backstory to follow on. That's very different.
2: Well, that's based Um, on a video game, right?
5: it's based on a book series but the weirder thing is like it's not like a big series like game of thrones is it's a series of short stories
2: oh interesting
5: it's cool to see all these different things being tried out like carnival row is really interesting because it's fantasy but it's also dealing with like these uh questions of like colonialism and stuff mm-hmm. like that
4: we are fey and this was our land
5: another awesome one that came out this year was like shadow and bone oh
4: yeah
2: totally
1: is this true Can you summon light?
5: There's bad stuff, too. There's, like, that awful Joss Whedon HBO show that came out, too. The Nevers.
1: You know the touched?
5: Yes. They
3: have weird deformities and afflictions. Ugh.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think partly why I find it so fascinating is, you know, we did Game of Thrones recaps and like, I remember I did an event with HBO, like right towards the end of the final season. And I remember hanging out, like they weren't like high level HBO execs or anything. They were just like these lovely humans who like did PR at HBO, but they were all sort of like, we don't know what's coming next. Like you could tell they were legitimately freaked out about like, what do we do after this super successful thing that like no one could have predicted its success, you know? Yes.
4: Wendy, how are you into this stuff? Look, I, I, unpopular opinion here, but I couldn't do Game of Thrones. The sexual violence, I was ah. like... Yeah, no, it no. was, It was just cheap storytelling. It's like, you know how to yeah. add some tension yeah. to a story? Some titties in the background. Yes. Just some titties. I'm like, wait, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that's not good writing. That's just titties. <laughs> I just want to hear you say titties all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I am really, really excited for a... Good fantasy that doesn't exploit women and our titties.
5: Oh man, you would have you seen Shadow and Bone? I feel like that oh, one is no. great. No, I'm ready.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a fun one. I mean, I don't know though. The other thing is like, why not just keep watching Succession <laughs> for the rest of our lives anyway? Right? A
5: true high fantasy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. I will say something that I at least am very cautiously optimistic about with this coming season that just started on HBO is that I'm almost positive COVID is not going to be a thing in this universe. And I am uh. thrilled by that.
5: I'm also thrilled. I, I got I got into this show like Mythic Quest recently, which is is cute. And uh, and then uh, like we just hit the episode last night where they're they're like, just doing the whole thing over Zoom. And I was like, ah, I need to watch something else. Like, I, this is the first, like, pandemic yeah. reality fiction I've watched.
4: It's so true. It's like, we lived it. We we stared at screens all day, and I don't want to stare at a yeah. screen in a screen. It's too much.
2: Yeah, it just feels like, like, let's just not. Like, we're living it. I'd rather, like, I need my entertainment to actually be free of that stuff. I would be totally okay if everyone just pretended like it never happened, you know? Yeah,
4: I'd be fine with yeah. that. Until, until, like, 20 years in the future, and then I think we'll be ready, like, like oh look at that wasn't that interesting
2: yeah like bring back veep in
5: 10 years and do the pandemic season of veep
4: (laughs) (laughs) that actually probably would be a really
5: good time but i but right now i wouldn't be able to take it
2: no no okay so another thing that happened this week that i thought was really interesting was uh japan's princess mako married a commoner anytime i get to use the word commoner i'm super (laughs) into it Um, So they skipped the formalities. They ended up doing essentially like the Japanese equivalent of a city hall marriage. Um, Because this guy isn't royalty, she's giving up any claim to the throne. It sounds like the couple is going to move to the U.S. um, where apparently all royals flee when they give up the crown. I was just thinking
4: this is a story I've heard before. Right?
2: So, Wendy, did you know there was a Japanese princess before the story this week?
4: I did, but that is as much as I knew. Because I think every now and then... Over beers, the, the conversation will inevitably go to who still has a monarchy? <laughs> and- And which Australia we do much more sophisticated than ours. (laughs) I mean, because I think it it, it all kind of stems from because Australia is still part of the Commonwealth. So I don't think Americans think about this at all. Yeah, Well, because it's so. Someone came to me on the street in America and was like, "What?" So the Queen of like out of the like not a friend, just just a random (laughs) on the street heard my accent and was like, "You guys still ruled by the Queen of England?" (laughs) What? (laughs) I was he was like, like
2: sucker <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what did you know about it, Anne-Marie? Did you know anything? I, I vaguely
5: knew somewhere in the back of my mind that there was a monarchy, but not to this extent.
4: Do you feel like if our if our childhood storybooks didn't have the word princess and prince in them so often, we might be able to take this all a little more seriously? It's really hard to be reading an article in the New York Times where it's like, princess. Yes. And to, for my head to not... Go into a world of not real human beings,
2: you know? that's a really good point. I think that is partly what my brain does and why I'm like, yes, novel, please. like l- like I want to get into this, but also, like, I don't want, <laughs> you know, to like thrive on the pain of real human beings either. Oh, you yeah, know?
5: yeah. I mean, I think also just like the side note, after I'd read that story, like the algorithms were onto me, and I got like another story that was like, uh about the fiance. I didn't realize that people were calling it the Princess on the ponytail.
2: Scandal? Yeah, he was like blasted in the press a lot because he had a yeah. ponytail.
5: Okay, side note, you
4: look
2: great. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Love a dude yeah. with a ponytail. Total
4: babe. Total babe.
2: <laughs> Do you think though that uh this princess and Harry are like texting? Oh, I
4: I think maybe.
2: Like I don't know, it is really interesting that there is like fairly recent precedent for kind of what's happening, you know?
4: I love the idea. Maybe just an emoji, <laughs> you know, just one. Like the Just like, like the... the bicep emoji. <laughs> nice work, <Yeah>. girl. <laughs> exactly.
5: I love the idea of them being in a group chat together.
2: Right? I think that's really sweet. Dig the ponytail, bro.
5: <laughs> She's like, I don't care what everybody else said. I love the ponytail.
2: <laughs> okay, so Halloween is this weekend. What do you think is like the most exquisitely 2021 costume? Oh. And why is it the worst?
5: I already saw a sexy Ted Lasso. Oh. <laughs> You know, no! we all knew it was going to happen.
2: <laughs> and that involves, like, the mustache and tits, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. There have to be tits. And, a, and a, yeah. I think
5: there's a very short skirt, too, and a believe sign. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's all you need. That's perfect. I really like the idea of Salty Bernie at the inauguration. I think that would be t- a pretty
4: fun costume. Oh, and just some really good, like, mittens. Yeah, exactly. But sexy. You
5: know? <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> <laughs> i've seen sexy squid game person that's my Ooh. friend yeah
4: i think those are the two top sexy ones i've seen so far um before we go can i get the can i get a um i have a big question a big american question oh. that i need you guys to decipher <laughs> oh my for God. me yes what the fuck is up with candy corn <laughs> Oh, God. I'm not sure even we know. It's so gross, guys. It's really gross. It's so bad. I I couldn't remember the exact name, so I just Googled it. I was like, corn candy. Yeah, you got it. On Google, the questions that people ask are, one, (laughs) why is candy corn so bad? (laughs) (laughs) Two, I can appreciate this one. Is it candy corn or corn candy? But three, (laughs) is candy corn poisonous? (laughs)
2: Yeah, no, it's not. I don't know. That's it's a very divisive issue, Wendy. <laughs> You're
4: telling me. Listen,
5: it is the tip of the iceberg of disgusting ass candy that we have in this country.
2: You know, this is why I usually say I just don't like candy because I like most candy is terrible.
4: What are you from big dentist or something? <laughs> Listen, just because my uncle is a dentist,
5: Greta <laughs> just hands out apples. She's that person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: Oh my gosh, Wendy, Anne-Marie, this was so much fun. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for having me. This was great. Eric Larson is considered the forefather of narrative nonfiction. His book Devil in the White City from 2003 won wide acclaim. That's the one about the Chicago World's Fair and a serial killer. Since then, Eric Larson has written about Nazi Germany, The Sinking of the Lusitania, and Winston Churchill. But after years of writing nonfiction, he has taken a leap into the unknown and decided to write a novel. Why, you may wonder?
1: (laughs) You mean, what was I thinking? You You know, this was born out of boredom.
2: While he was on tour for his 2006 book Thunderstruck, Eric said he was just really bored. So he started writing.
1: I love ghost stories, and I wanted to write the kind of ghost story that I love to read. You know, Things like The Haunting of Hill House by by Shirley Jackson, that kind of thing.
2: Over 10 years later, that boredom has turned into No One Goes Alone. It's a ghost story that's about a group of researchers who are investigating a mysterious house on a secluded British island in the early 1900s. A family of four disappeared, and there's all sorts of paranormal stuff happening. You won't be able to buy the hardcover of this book, though, because No One Goes Alone is an audio-only book.
1: Now, why audio-only, you may ask?
2: Yep, that's on the list. Yeah,
1: I don't want to do your work for you here, Kat, but, <laughs> but, but the reason is that, you know, I, I I was concerned about this work because I don't want to blur my brand. That sounds unnecessary clinical, oh, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a nonfiction yeah. guy through and through. And anything in my books, my nonfiction books, you know, between quotation marks, it's, it's like the real deal. Nothing is made up in my books. So here I have this work of fiction where you know everything's made up. And guess what? Bonus, it even has dialogue. <laughs> so something remarkable happened. And the publishing industry sort of sort of met me um, in the sweet spot of where the story needed to be with the idea, you know, this 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 new thing in publishing, the audio original. And so I thought, yes, you know, that's the ideal thing avoids the blur of, of, you know, having a a work of fiction on the same shelf as my other books. Right. And also it's the ideal format for a ghost story. I mean, you, you can literally read this story in the dark.
2: (laughs) That's true. That's very true. If you want,
1: which, which, which I recommend.
2: Yeah. You actually, you've said in the past that ghost stories are best told aloud. Do you think that?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think the most fun is when somebody starts, you know, cranking up a scary story, you know, beside a fire somewhere. It's like, I I just, I think it's the ideal venue. Mm. I've loved always, you know, hearing stories that have been told out loud in that kind of a thing. I'm quite proud of this, actually. When my kids were a little bit older than where I would read them books, I started making up stories. And I always made up some sort of scary stories, but tried to give them always a happy ending because you never want to send a kid to bed with a, an unfinished scary story. But so I got reasonably good at this. But my career sort of reached its high point and 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 died when I found myself at a family event at a, one of my kids' schools. And I took like nine little kids out back to tell them a, a scary story. And I was a little bit too good at it. <laughs> Two or three left the circle in tears. <laughs> So, so, I had to, I had to wrap that one up in the happiest way possible.
2: That's so amazing. So recently, we interviewed uh, Lauren Groff, who wrote this amazing new book called Matrix, which takes place in like a medieval convent. Oh, that sounds good. It's great. There's a lot of really interesting mysticism in it, and it got me thinking about how I think, especially in that time in history there was just so much more room for magic because we knew, you know, we didn't understand germs, right? Like there was just so much more that we kind of accepted as possible. And I think there's something kind of happening with what you've written with the 1900s as well. Cause we're like, you know, societally we're sort of at the cusp of so much more technology and scientific understanding. And we're, and we're kind of trying to apply that knowledge to weird things that happen in the world, you know?
1: Yes, yes, and to some extent, this was all Darwin's fault, <laughs> because you know here he came forward, you know, in the what was it? When was the Origin of the Species? eighteen sixty something, eighteen fifty nine. Here's Darwin, you know, proposing, um, uh, you know, arguing, defending this this proposal that we're all descended from common ancestors. This mechanistic thing that sort of leaves God out of the bargain. And this was a tremendously revolutionary thought, and it sent half the population off more deeper into the embrace of the church, and it sent the other half of the population off on this sort of scientific quest to say, look, if there is an afterlife, um, we ought to be able to prove its existence. Hence the creation of the Society for Psychical Research, which was quite an august body um, back in late 19th century britain
2: and that's the society that's in the book to be clear,
1: yes that's the society that's in the book that sponsors this journey to this island um this remote island the more remote the better because less potential for outside fakery and influence and 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 the the thing was sponsored by the the committee on haunted houses which was a real thing (laughs) Love it. And they they investigated hundreds of reports of haunted houses in in uh, throughout Britain, and debunked everyone.
2: That's so wild. So, what drew you to to this era to these mysteries when you're writing this book?
1: That's kind of a great great period for ghost stories. You know, scary old haunted houses. People seem to uh, at the time believe more in ghosts than they do now. I, I, I wanted also to capture a sense of emerging character types um for example one thing about this visit to this island is that people begin to shed their their victorian reserve in sort of mm. i think kind of charming ways there's also something about this house this is not your typical haunted house this is a house that makes people feel good at least initially you know, mm-hmm. this is a house that, you know, causes a burst of creativity in, in one of the people there. This is a house where for the first time, one of the investigators actually gets a, a reasonably good night's sleep, something I can really appreciate <laughs> at this point in my life, which is why it's in there, you know. So the house just begins to become this this sort of a lovely haven until it's not.
2: Mm-hmm. So you've said you like telling scary stories. Do you believe in ghosts?
1: No, <laughs> I take the position taken by uh, by William James, who who is um, the leader of this expedition on the island mm-hmm. and was, in fact, a, a real life historical character, probably the guy who should be credited with founding the science of psychology. Mm-hmm. William James, he was a skeptic, but was willing to be proven wrong. And that's me.
2: So Halloween is this weekend. Are you a Halloween guy?
1: No. You know, you know, I, I I I love the idea of Halloween. You know, I also, I also re- recall very fondly. I mean, just just flitted through my mind. You know, taking my uh, taking my kids around my my neighborhood. When we lived for a period in Baltimore, and and how excited the kids were, and I remember dressing one of my kids as Rosemary's baby, um, in, in a in a in a, a red jumpsuit with horns and and so forth, and and walking over into you know neighbors' gardens and holding her up at the window. You know, until <laughs> until they noticed. <laughs> so I, I, I do I, I do like Halloween. I, I, um, yeah, but, I feel but,
2: like that would that would qualify you as a Halloween guy. Eric. Yeah,
1: well, oh, <laughs> I'll tell you my big my big Halloween thing though. My my family is absolutely head over heels in, in love with the the film Hocus Pocus with Ed Midler and I mean of course Sarah Jessica Parker. Every year at this time, we watch this thing religiously. We always tra- we always trade our favorite lines. One of which is that scene where where she says, oh, "Wooden face, shut, shut it, it, Satan!" <laughs> oh, thou should not speak to master in such a manner.
2: Eric, it's been so much fun to talk with you. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on, and happy Halloween to you.
2: <laughs> happy Halloween to you. Eric Larson, his new fiction audiobook, is called No One Goes Alone. Coming up, monsters!
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series.
2: For most of us, October is a time of year when we turn on the horror movies and embrace getting scared by spooky ghosts and monsters. But Emily Zarka is not like the rest of us.
3: Spooky season is year round for me. I have the absolute pleasure of being able to immerse myself in monster and horror year round. But this is just the time of the year that other people sort of let their spook flag fly. And I love it so much.
2: Emily is the writer and host of the online PBS series, Monstrum.
3: I just love monsters and spooky stuff.
2: So much so that monsters are her whole life.
3: I grew up with horror and sci-fi, so I've always been a fan of sort of the genre, but never thought it was something I could make a career of until I went to uh, college. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Colorado, and I had just some really amazing professors there who exposed me to the idea that horror stories do have more meaning than maybe some people would expect. And I started researching the undead and that got me into grad school and got my PhD and led to me being now the writer and host of Monstrum.
2: Ugh, it's just so that scent is just like getting into the undead. Like, great. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like these days, is certain monsters have kind of had their moment in the sun. Like I think about, you know, our zombie phase. Yeah. Uh, vampires obviously have been another really big one. Do you think there are monsters in the year 2021 that are like super hot?
3: I think werewolves um, are actually (laughs) sort of coming back into fashion. We've seen, you know, some modern interpretations of werewolves in TV shows and movies recently. But I think that with the launching of some video games, uh, the newest Resident Evil Mm -hmm. this year and some of the movies that I've seen on big networks are featuring werewolves.
2: Interesting. so the only werewolfy thing i can think of is what we do in the shadows oh werewolves. so good we're werewolves
3: not swearwolves. werewolves not swearwolves. what are we werewolves, werewolves, not swearwolves. werewolves. It, so good <laughs> love that movie and the
2: show is great <laughs> i know right what else out there is werewolfy these days you mentioned a couple of mm-hmm. video games yep
3: uh werewolves within like lycanthrope a what lycanthrope.
1: a werewolf <laughs>
3: is a newer movie that came out that plays on the idea of there's a secret murderer and we have to find out who it is. But I think even the popularity of shows like the teen wolf reboot, um, and like the vampire diaries and all sort of that universe are definitely focusing on werewolves too. And again, I think the more we see something, um, The more people become aware and sort of start to love that type of monsters, I think we're going to just see more and more werewolves.
2: This might be a really superficial question, but do you think a cultural interest in monsters has to do with that monster's capacity to be sexy? Like, I think about werewolves and, like, hot werewolves, you know? Like, vampires, too. I think, like, True Blood was, like, an extremely sexy show. Absolutely. Like, zombies, like, it just doesn't quite do the same thing for me. You know what I mean?
3: But there is Warm Bodies, which is a zombie romance, right? I mean... Oh, no, I haven't seen it.
1: What am I doing with my life? I just want to connect. Why can't I connect with people? Oh, right. It's because I'm dead.
3: (laughs) It's actually good. I really enjoyed that interpretation. It's interesting. I think maybe... In our culture, it has to be quote-unquote sexy, but I don't think that's something that historically has been true. Yeah, I think that monsters, we like to just project our own anxieties and fears onto them. So if you wanted to think about the sexualization Mm -hmm. of some of these monsters more recently, you could connect it right to our sort of anxieties about changing perspectives on sexuality in general.
2: Mm, Sure. Okay, so I am not a person who is like hella Halloween-y. Do you have advice for me to get into the Halloween spirit a little more? To get into the
3: Halloween spirit, um, watching scary movies, of course, Mm -hmm. is one. I'm also a huge sugar fiend, so eating candy is another.
2: Do you have a scary movie and sugar combo that you might recommend?
3: Oh my gosh, I think that Scream pairs greatly with like sour candy, like Sour Patch Kids. And I think that Halloween, which I insist on watching every Halloween night, uh, just goes great with like a classic sort of like chocolate, like maybe like a Milky Way or a
2: Snickers. So what are you dressing up as this year?
3: This year I'm doing two. So I'm doing a leshy, which is a Slavic sort of forest deity slash monster that I've covered on the show before. So, you know, just like antlers and I'm doing a modern interpretation. It's a lot of like forest theme fake tattoos and stuff okay, cool uh and then my husband and i are going to be keely and roy kent oh. from ted lasso
2: oh my god yeah. did you see my friend just the other day was showing me um someone like tweeted about how she's going to be sexy ted lasso which might just be like the most 2021 halloween costume i ever. only
3: am going to support that if she wears a mustache then yes
2: <laughs> she is yeah but Perfect. Just, like super short shorts you know
1: oh bless i love it <laughs>
2: Emily, thank you so much for talking with me. This was really fun.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Emily Zarka, her show on PBS is called Monstrum. All right, that's it for this week. Keep an eye out for our book club author chat that's coming out this coming Tuesday. November's pick is Sarah McLean's Bombshell. It is a great time. You should read it. Also, if you're up for it, we'd love it if you signed up for our newsletter. Every Friday morning, Anna and I will send you a link to our freshest episodes, along with some tasty recipes and delicious reading ideas and junk foodie TV recommendations. You can sign up for that over at wbez.org. The show is produced by me and Anna Baumann. And our executive producer is Brendan Vanizak. Have a happy Halloween.
1: Do you remember that line?
0: Book! <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series.